0: Eli and Eric talking more OU Athletics. Third time this week I get to see you via Zoom. Third time this week we're going to hit up some uh, OU football news. It's spring, spring first week of spring camp and uh, it, only two practices but it sounds like everyone's excited about the direction of the program.
1: Yeah, I mean we're, we're back in full swing and kind of like we said earlier this week when you and I hopped on Zoom and hope to be doing more of those as, as spring camp goes along. It feels just a little bit different this year and not different that is going to necessarily translate into 10 wins and a Big 12 title or something like that. But simply, when you consider where this program was this time a year ago to where it is now, it's a whole lot more settled. You've got uh, all but one of your assistant coaches back from a year ago. And and we'll get to Emmett Jones, but we got to speak to him last night for the first time. There's continuity and there's guys who are back. Dylan Gabriel gets to speak to reporters and come back this week with his another year of experience in Norman and, and so on from there. So the vibe is, is a bit different. Um, it, it's interesting now talking to some of the the guys we knew from last year, but who are now stepping into different roles. I mean, talk about Gavin Sockchuck or Jaron Kanick, uh, two freshmen from a year ago that now might really be poised uh, to, to take on a big role. Things are changing, but there, there is a feeling of, of continuity, I think, within this spring camp. And that's all you could probably ask for if you were Brent Venables or be hoping for.
0: You know, when we talk about Dylan Gabriel, here's a here's a quarterback uh, veteran. I mean, grizzled, in Brent Venables' words, scarred up <laughs> because of all the, <laughs> the games that he's played, and dynamic relationship between him and uh, newcomer Jackson Arnold. I, I've been talking about this over and over. It, it kind of reminds me of the movie Bull Durham with Crash Davis and Nuke Lelouch, How you know Nuke Lelouch was the young uh, stud pitcher who was getting ready for his shot at the big time, while Crash Davis had been there and he, he brought him along. We see that mentoring that uh, Dylan Gabriel is going to have for Jackson Arnold. I think that's going to be huge. And the, the thing that's impressed me is that what we're hearing from teammates, what we're hearing from the coaches is that Jackson Arnold has really embraced that role he understands that he has to be a sponge he has to soak everything in uh nothing's going to be given to him and he needs to learn this playbook and no, who better to learn this from than uh Dylan Gabriel I, I just impressed with that relationship to see how it grows of course they are going to compete for snaps I mean that's just they're they're both competitors but I think going in there, there's a starting quarterback and there's a young quarterback in the wings and I think that's huge for this offense for Jeff Levy and, and for the team to have some success
1: yeah, I mean, on one end, you've got Dylan Gabriel, and I think on top of whatever he'll give OU this year, like the fact that they've got a fifth-year quarterback, we've heard about this in this transfer portal slash COVID eligibility era, the value of just having old guys, right? Guy, you can, it's possible now, and we're seeing it certainly on the basketball court this time of year, you've got 23 and 24-year-olds playing, and and just the sheer value of that experience of that age helps. But Dylan Gabriel will be like one of the most experienced quarterbacks in college football this year. And I don't think that can be understated. And then when you think about Jackson Arnold getting to be around a guy like that and what that could mean for him, it's big. And, and you know, everything we're hearing about Jackson Arnold now is, is what I heard from Jackson. When I went down to Denton in December, he had just finished his high school career and he was so eager. You know, he'd already developed a relationship with Jeff Levy and already developed one with Dylan Gabriel. He was so eager to get to spend every day around those guys and to be a sponge and to do everything we're hearing he's doing now, which is not coming in, not that this was any expectation and thinking, you know, he needed those first team snaps, but sitting back, learning what he doesn't know, learning what he has to learn. I asked Dylan about that last night. I said, what did you need to learn five years ago that Jackson is learning now? And he just said all those little things about being a college quarterback, everything that goes beyond just throwing the football, Jackson, Arnold, has been blessed with the ability to throw football for a long time, but there are things he's learning now uh, as a college quarterback that are all new. And, and I do think that environment, and that quarterback room, uh, really top to bottom seems like a place he's fit into and, and a good place for him to get that development.
0: You had an opportunity to talk to Emmett Jones. It's something we've been waiting for for a couple of months now. We were teased a couple of times. We thought that we'd have availability with them, but schedules never meshed up. We thought we'd talk to him in February when all this – the uh, the newcomers uh, had their little media day, but finally Thursday night you had a chance to talk to Emmett a little bit, and you know what's impressed me is that this has been on his radar a long time. He's had success at many different colleges, but he's wanted to coach at Oklahoma. He patterned his his uh, high school yeah. when he coached high school about what OU did in the early two thousands during the glory days, and I think that he's excited about this opportunity. And you know, as a as a fan you probably are excited about his experience but as a fan you really got to be excited about his links to the Dallas Metroplex I think recruiting is going to really be big and and you're going to see see really an impact of who he knows the relationships he has with coaches down in Texas I think this is a huge pickup for the Sooners
1: well I think it's entirely possible that Emmett Jones is the biggest OU fan in Texas up until uh, pretty recently because you're right I mean for, and for the sake of the timeline He spent from 2015 up until Brent Venom was hired him in January in the Big 12. He was at Kansas. He was at Texas Tech. Uh, But before that, he spent he really built his football career in the the Dallas-Fort Worth area in high school football, which we know to be some of the best high school football in the country. But he's been in this And, and by virtue of being in the DFW, you know, from 2000, early 2000s into the mid 2010s. He had Brent Venables and Bob Stoops coming to, into his office to, to recruit his kids. He knew Jeff Levy, uh, who came up in Texas, obviously, part of that journey at Baylor. He's known some of this staff, but he, as you said, and I mean, the quote here, everything we did, it was cut and paste straight from Oklahoma. Uh, he has admired this program for a very long time. And he said, part of the reason it was such a no-brainer, he'd always told himself, if Oklahoma ever called, didn't matter the situation, he was going to take it. And so here he is now taking over a wide receiver room at a really interesting time where you've got some transition. Uh, I'll, I'll get to my hit favorite quote of his about Drake Stoops in a second. But uh, the other end, you mentioned that his, his base, his roots, and his connections are all in that really important recruiting uh, hotbed of, of Dallas-Fort Worth where the Sooners have already found success uh, under Brent Venables. But that's only going to help them there. I mean, the, even if he does nothing for the receivers, which I've no doubt he's going to be a great asset there, He is going to help them in the recruiting game, and it's huge. But for the sake of uh, just getting to this Drake Stoops quote, you know, he was asked about how he feels about the room and, and the guys he's got, and he said this, you know, I guess I'll paraphrase a bit. When I was at Kansas, when I was at Texas Tech, we'd watch film and I'd ask my guys, with all the receivers OU has, why is Drake Stoops playing? Now that I'm here, I get it. He's a student of the game. I see it. And then this is the direct quote. He'll give you everything he's got, and he'll fight. I told the coaches, I will walk down any dark alley in South Dallas with him. Any dark alley. That would be one of the first guys I'd grab to walk down that dark alley. So that's a good endorsement of, of Drake Stoops from Emmett Jones. And again, he, that was the, the, the personality that, that came through last night. He's excited. We, we've been hearing from the wide receivers who really are enjoying, I think, his, his approach and his approach to details and things like that. So it was a good first impression, I, I think, from Emmett Jones. And by all accounts, he's settling in quite well.
0: You know, I, one of the favorite story I had from him is how he talked about getting the job and how yeah. there was something about the regular season finale, they were at the 50-yard line, and he actually bumped into Jeff Levy at the 50, and he said there was something about that bump. It kind of made me laugh when he said that. I could just hear there's something about that bump. Uh, who knew a couple of days later Levy would reach out for him and say, hey, you know, would you, would you like to join our staff? So it was kind of, you know, something about the opportunity to work with Levy, work at Oklahoma, like you said. Uh, he couldn't turn it down. He really couldn't. And, it's, it's you know, the Oklahoma, it, it was hard for the Sooners last year. I know LaDamian Washington got everything he could out of those players. But you got to think mentally, back of your head, First year coach. If you're a wide receiver, you know it, it was a, it was a tough year. The transition was tough. This is going to be their third wide receivers coach in what uh, eight months, nine months. So I mean, this is they're they're learning. They're they've heard three different voices in that room. Now they have a room uh, a voice that they can really settle on, and they know that he's going to be the guy. I think mentally, that's going to be a big factor for this wide receiver group.
1: Yeah, and it, it's an interesting time for them to dive in there because Marvin Mims is is gone, and as we talked about last uh, the other day. Uh, it, it's probably going to be Jaleel Farouk who is looked upon to be that new number one. And I asked Dylan Gabriel about that last night, not what it means for him, but you know, what is the difference of going from a really explosive playmaker who maybe was the the second or third guy last year to being that number one. And Dylan Gabriel said mindset for, for his top receiver, it's gotta be that mindset of coming in every day and being number one and all those things. And if, if whether it is going to be Jaleel Farouk or someone else or getting the most out of that position group, a lot of that's going to start with Emmett Jones. And, and so it's, it's important that he's settling in the way he is. And, and from the sound of it, you know, another guy, JJ Hester, spoke last night just about uh, the way he's come in. He, he had identified things, for instance, in JJ Hester and said, Hey, we, we're going to work on this. He knew right away what he wanted to work on with these guys. And I, I think that that does have to bode well.
0: When we look at the offense a little more, we we got you guys had a chance to talk to Gavin Sawchuk yesterday, and I think that's going to be huge. The running back, you remember what he did against Florida State, really had the breakout game against the Seminoles, and I think that that's an important aspect. You talk we talk about all the the, the question marks on this offense. Look at the offensive line. You know we got a couple tackles out this year the injury. Look at the running backs. Who's going to be the guy? Who's going to be the alpha in the running back room? You got Marcus Major, who's been injured. Uh, what's his impact going to be? You got Devonte Barnes, who really had a nice season last year, and, and Salchuk, uh, as well as ho- Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood Smother. Yeah. You see who's coming in, what's going to happen. I think that's interesting. We talk about wide receivers. I, I think offensively, Jeff Lubby, it, it, it's just a brand new year. I mean, you talk about him coming in and teaching his offense last year. Well, now the core group understands the offense. It's just how they relay it to the, to the, the newcomers and what they're going to do.
1: And that, again, is we talk about Dylan Gabriel's experience. If, if so much else is going to change on this offense at the skill positions. And, I mean, Austin Stogner comes back. He's obviously very experienced. Asked Dylan about him last night and his fit. But you, having Dylan Gabriel there with, with the experience he has, I think, is, is critical when you consider that you're going to have to find a new leader in the running back room. You're going to have to find new production, a wide receiver, and so on. It, it is that important.
0: Jaron Kanick had a chance to talk to the the, the media yesterday. And it, it's interesting because he was a guy, everyone, since he stepped on campus, basically, everyone's watched his every movement, watched his growth. And, you know, some, a lot of people thought he should have been on the field a lot more than he was last year. Uh, Jaron talked a little bit about learning the game, coming in at mid-year. And, and w- was he overwhelmed? Uh, I don't know. He said no one's going to master this defense. He said Brent Venables is the only one who who will master this defense. There's so much to learn. But what impressed me about Jaron is that his maturity level, he talked about going in and seeing film, not just him, but holding a lot of other teammates accountable for going in and and just getting the mental aspect down, going in there and studying, studying, studying. It's more than what you do on the field. It's also what you do off the field. And I think that speaks a lot for his maturity being a, a sophomore now and, you know, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to see a lot of snaps, too. So uh, he's he's de- or he's kind of developing into that leadership role. We talk about mentors. So we talk about Jackson Arnold and Dylan Gabriel. I really think that Darren Canick has someone in Danny Stutzman that he can look up to as well. And, and that linebacker room is going to be so, so important. And I was impressed by Kanek, his willingness to really go in there and try to be that uh, impact player in year two.
1: Well, it's worth noting, as the coaching staff will probably note, Ted Roof did again this week. Jaron Kanick, that was his first year really playing defense full time last year. And he got in and made an impact in games enough to the point that, at least from the outside looking in, there were, there was a lot of buzz of why with the struggling defense is this kid who seemingly uh, has it. I mean, we remember his performance in Lincoln at Nebraska, how well he played. Uh, why isn't he playing more but there were clearly reasons or you know ultimately he didn't get out there but this year the, the opportunity is right there for him uh, there's Danny Stutzman you can probably lock in as a starting day one linebacker after that there's opportunities there and and Jaron Canick would be the guy that you based on what we saw last year based on what he said you know again you laid out he's got the right approach should or could be that guy And and so this is the start of that this is that spring 2023 where he can uh, maybe take hold of that, or, or learn what he doesn't know right now. Uh, but but it's a really interesting spot he now finds himself in. And I'll be curious. You know, we've talked so much about Danny Stutzman's leadership and kind of the new role he's got to take on. I wrote about that yesterday. It's in the Tulsa World today. How much of an impact can a guy like Danny Stutzman have on a Jaron Cannon? And how much of that is uh, is maybe priority number one? The other thing we'd we'd mention James Skalsky, the, the the new grad assistant coming in here. Probably one of Brent Venables' best linebackers at Clemson. Uh, you you would know him from the college football playoff games. Believe he might have a, a couple of college football playoff ejections in his past from for targeting, but also two uh, national titles. And a guy like that being around both Danny Studspen and Jaron Canick and all these linebackers uh, that that's got to excite you uh, if you're an No fan of, of thinking about a guy that the Brent Venables certainly found a lot of use for now being around these really promising young linebackers, uh, I, I think is a positive. But Eric, taking it to the secondary, we heard from Emmett Jones, but Jay Valai, who, no. uh, you know, someone asked, it's funny, Jay Valai has really been around as a coach, and he's jumped around a lot. And someone even joked, hey, you're, you're back for another year. They, you know, Jay been a bit of a nomad, is back. And, and in a secondary, that's really going to look interesting this year.
0: A nomad, yeah, because he has, he's bounced around. He's been a lot of different places. He's bounced
1: around some good places. It's he's, yeah, yes, yeah, good places too. Yeah. He's in Alabama. Uh, <laughs> he's been around
0: though. I, I I thought it was interesting with him. They asked him, you know, how the cornerbacks, you know, what's, what's going on with the cornerbacks? And he, he called it, it's a growing room, it's a malnutritious room, it's a hungry room. <laughs> it was interesting his choice of words when he talked mal-nourished
1: about malnourished room. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mal- malnourished room. Yeah. So, um, it, it, you know, and he has a he has a good core to work with uh you know with Woody Washington. It, 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 I really think that he's someone that he wants to he wants to help develop that that cornerbacks and kind of be stoppers. He you know he wants to, he don't want them to throw at him and that's how every coach cornerback's coach at Oklahoma in the past few years has been. But you know, the OU's just been so susceptible to to pass the pass game that you know there's only one way to go up and it's up. So I think with experience with Woody Washington, who really is an elder statesman on this defense, I think you start with him, and you and you try to see you know who can, who else can be locked down guys. The one player I'm kind of interesting about is uh, Jaden Roll, uh, the Union High School graduate who didn't play last year because of injury. Could this be his year to really develop and, and do like that? And uh, Jaden, I. I'm just intrigued by him a lot. I mean, his his body build, makeup, he, he's a big guy. He's fast. That's the one thing. But it's not only his quick, his speed, but it's his size. He he brings a little, a lot of a physical attribute to the position. So Jaden Rowe is someone, you know, once he gets healthy, he's someone that I really want to see how he does at that position. But I, I, I'm just impressed with, with how, you know, I've always been impressed with Javali, with just, you know, it's one thing to, to really try to be motivating, but it's another thing to coach the position. I think that he, that's what he does. He, he's part motivator, but he really is a coach. And, and we hear all the coach speak. We all get the excited words when we hear him talk. But I think that's the key is, you know, that position is really going to have to be to be better this year. And the word hungry came up over and over and over. And we'll see how it goes.
1: I will say, you know, we, we put out this video. You can find it at TulsaWorld.com if you'd like. Of Just the sight and sa- sights and sounds from the open practice we had the other day. And there's probably a 30, 40-second clip in there. Of Jay Valai coaching a drill. And you really can just see the, the way he, he teaches directly uh, and, and the reception he gets from his guys. You, you can see it right there in that you know 40, 50 second clip. But you know, I, I said with the linebackers that you kind of probably have a, a penciled in guy and then some question marks. At cornerback, there's the benefit of, of returning next to Woody Washington, Jaden Davis, as a a veteran option. But after that, you know, you mentioned Jaden Rowe. How about Kendall Dolby from northeastern Oklahoma? Can I Walker was the Louisville transfer who came in. Uh, and, and they said last year, this time last year, had a lot of work to do, hadn't played a lot. Gentry Williams, what, what kind of opportunities are there going to be for those guys, either in the spring or, or in the fall and maybe that early part of the season? Uh, I, I think really across that secondary, you have returning starters and guys OU fans have seen, but behind them, or, or perhaps they won't be behind them for long, we'll see how all this shakes out some really intriguing options that, that Jay Valai and then Brendan Hall with the safeties uh, can work with in a secondary that we know Brent Venables is is at least excited about what they have there.
0: Well, Oklahoma will have two more opportunities to talk to the players next week as well. I think they're going to be, we're going to meet with them Monday and Wednesday post-practice. Yep. Probably get a chance to talk to Brent Venables next week as well and just get an idea how the first week of practice is going. So look forward to continuing our football talk. And I think Eli and I are going to continue to try to do these podcasts as availabilities go. So you can keep up with us on all these podcasts. We'll, we'll have more than one a week during spring training or spring football. Uh Move to basketball. Uh, news. Hold on, on, hold right. on, hold okay, on. Okay, okay, I forget? Nope, nope. What, what did I
1: forget? You moved right on through pro day.
0: Oh, and you know what? You I mowed through, through something else, too. So let's talk Pro Day. You're right. Pro Day is <laughs> well, Day, uh, the 30th, March 30th. Yeah, I forgot about hey, that.
1: Come on, man. You're, you're you're slipping. You hang back in Tulsa and you slip. <laughs> but hey, all right, I've got the list in front of me. So there are going to be 17 former, now former Sooners at this Pro Day uh, next week. And it's an interesting list because it, it starts off I and mean, it's alphabetical. But with Gabe Birkich, who is a guy who's who's coming back. Obviously, he didn't compete here last year but justin broil cj colden eric gray anton harrison jeffrey johnson casey kelleher marvin mims Wanye morris trey morrison chris murray daniel parker jalen redmond ventavius thompson michael turk deshaun white and braden willis so it's an extensive list i mean eric you'd know better than me but I, i think in past years this this quantity 17 guys is probably more than than in some years and uh who from that list jumps out to you as, as guys we we know they're kind of different positions and draft stock and all that
0: probably the one guy that sticks out the most is the obvious Deshaun White I think you know he had a really good senior year or final year at Oklahoma uh, and I, I was just really curious you know he wasn't invited to combine this is his combine I mean he you know while everyone in late February was getting ready for those workouts he, he gets an extra month to prepare for this and you know that he took it took it took it uh real he wanted to make sure that he's Going to be prepared for that. I think Deshaun White's the big one, Anton Harrison as well. I, I know he was at the combine. I think anytime you get a chance to be in front of some scouts, get a chance to talk to him too uh, at, at a setting where you're familiar with. When you're at Oklahoma, I think that's going to be interesting too because I think he's going to be the highest uh, drafted guy on this out of this group. Uh, it, it's funny you, you got two a kicker and a punter in this too. So I mean that that's interesting. You got special teams, so if wide range and seventeen is a big number. That is a big number compared to years. Years past. Um, no Baker Mayfield, no Jalen Hurts, no Kyler Murray, no, no guy that's gonna say, wow, you know, ESPN cameras are gonna be here because they're here. That's not the case, but I still think it's a big day for a lot of players.
1: All right, I'll give you my three kind of big thoughts is one, Anton Harrison intrigues me because of kind of what you you said. He's gonna be the likely the highest drafted of these guys, and, and he is vacillating You can look at draft boards, I've seen that him going as high as 14th overall. We've seen some project that he might slip into the second round. And, and some of that has happened since he went to the combine. And so I'm curious to know what maybe why he slipped and, and what he can make up for pro day or, or between now and the draft. So that's intriguing. To Eric Gray, you know, we've, we've seen running backs in the NFL and how it's evolved. You can find your next great running back in the fifth round or, or the third round or undrafted, but he has the skill set. We saw it all last year that in addition to being a runner, he can block, he can catch passes. He seems to have a skill set that that surely some team would would find interesting so I'm curious whether it's who we can talk to at this pro day or, or what he does or what he's got to say about what he's heard about his own kind of draft evaluation what people think and then the third bit here you know you mentioned it's not going to be like Baker or Kyler and you you would know you can tell us what those pro days were like for those guys but while we don't have the number one quarterback we might have the number one punter <laughs> in in this draft going to be at this pro day and i'll be curious to see it surely there won't be the cameras and you probably won't have nfl head coaches there to see it but uh we know how some of these teams especially value special teams and a guy like michael turk might draw more attention than, than anybody next week
0: all you gotta do is look at tress way with the washington uh there you go I mean, Well, you know the, he's a team captain I mean, he—he's the guy that you know, pro he, bowler. Yeah, pro bowler, everything. So, and he, a former Union High School graduate, OU punter, and I think that's you know, Michael Such could turn, look at uh, Trent Trent and say, hey, or uh, Tress and say. Um, this is the way we we need to do this. Tressway's a good dude. I like him a lot. The last thing I forgot besides Pro Day was Kyler Murray's coming back for the spring. That was announced too. So it'll be good to see Kyler Murray again. Uh, Statue dedication in Heisman Park, 1130 games, three hours before the game. Uh, I think the statue will be available for pictures till two o'clock. So you know, fans can go and take a quick picture with the statue. So seventh statue in Heisman Park—that's uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty amazing when you think about it.
1: You know, Dylan Gabriel did get asked about that last night, and he didn't have a, a ton to say. But you know, last year, if if we all recall, you know, he he did get the opportunity to meet Baker Mayfield and, and relish that, uh, and and presumably the same with Kyler. But he, he did say, you know, I I know some people had some thoughts about how the Baker statue turned out. I I hope Kyler is uh brings a little (laughs) less fan fanfare so we'll see on on that front
0: (laughs) all right let's go to basketball really put a bow tie on basketball OU women lose to ucla in an an incredible game exciting game not so much the first half but the second half they used an 18 to 2 run to take the lead lost in the fourth quarter it was tough because it brought the end of careers to uh Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, and Anna Lenusa, uh, but I just impressed so much with the way that this team played. Uh, it's going to have a, they're going to have a new look next year. They're, I mean, who's going to you know Skylar Van? This they, they may be Skylar Van and Liz Scott's team. Uh, you know, Aubrey Jones too. I, we'll, we'll see who steps up. But it, just a tough loss for the Sooners at UCLA. Uh, they really you know wanted to play, get a shot at South Carolina. They would have played them in the Sweet Sixteen, but what a good year for Jenny Baranchek! And when you look at what she's done fifty one wins in two seasons, I uh, you talk about knocking a higher out of the ballpark. That's exactly what Joe Castiglione did with Jenny Baranchek, and uh, I I'm just impressed with the way they played all year. And uh, we'll see what the future holds.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned the those outgoing players and the players that carried this team the last two years. Obviously they were Sherry Cole recruits, but it almost feels like they've had their own, you know, era quote unquote, just with Jenny Bronchek. And now we head into the future and in a future without them. And it it might even be, uh, I wouldn't say Jenny's greatest challenge yet. Cause I think she, her challenge was stepping in when she did. And uh, she has knocked it out of the park in terms of, of where she's taken them in those two seasons, but now it's, it's replacing them and and finding her own players that, that are going to be able to produce the same way and take ou not probably not just to the same heights but the idea is is to get to that second weekend right to get to a sweet 16 and all that so it is curious you know where, where do they go from here eric i'll ask you i mean who who do you see uh whether it's people on the roster now or perhaps some some incomings that uh that could make that difference
0: you know i really like and i mentioned her a second ago skylar van just her her consistency and what she can build and we'll just see if she can start or not. That's the thing. She's a 2 times six player of the year in the league. But I think someone like her, you need to build around someone like that who can score, who can rebound, who, who's a loud voice. I, I think that's the key, too. They're going to need leadership right away because uh, those other three provided so much leadership to this team. Maddie Williams was a huge leader. I think that's going to be huge for the Sooners. It's not only on the court, but it's off the court and what you can do. You can hold your teammates accountable. Uh, I really like her. I like Liz Scott a lot too, because she's another one that's been around for a long time and she understands what's expected out of this program. So those shoes aren't going to be easy to fill, but I think that they really left uh, kind of a, a, their legacy and they really kind of left their fingerprints are all over this blueprint right now. And I think if you're Jenny Browncheck, you really need to grow and move up from this. And we talked about it a little bit uh, Jordy Branchek, I'm still, I'm going to start a fan club. <laughs> that was one of the best things I've seen. Still smiling because of that. I'll, you know, if I get bored, I'll get on here on Twitter and I'll re- re- just play her little sound clips from ESPN. So I'm a, I'm a, i am i am I. in fact, I sent Jenny a text saying I'm, I'm all in on Jordy Brancheck. <laughs> uh, and We need to, we need to make shirts and everything for her too. So, um, Switch gears to the men. Uh, we're seeing transfer portal stuff. I mean, we're seeing yeah. some guys leave. Uh, we have some incomers already coming in. I mean, it's, it's, it's just interesting with the transfer portal. Uh, and there's still a couple players out there. We're still wondering what's going to happen. Can you just kind of fill us in a little bit?
1: Well, on the macro end of recruiting across the country, it's fascinating that the portal is kind of unfolding while, while other teams are still playing. Uh, this That gets into just the whole, you know, when should the transfer portal start things like that. But One advantage for the Sooners of of not being in the NIT or the NCAA tournament is that Porter Moser's at least been able to to be active and perhaps, you know, get things rolling. But on the outgoing front, yesterday came the fourth uh, fourth Sooner headed to the Portals, Joe Bamisil, a guy who came in with, with, I think, high expectations. I I think at least outside looking in, you would have looked at him and Grant Shurfield on on level pegging when they both committed to OU, both scores from, you know, mid-major conferences. Uh, and it just didn't quite work out for Joe and in, in Norman. Uh, incredible personality, a, a guy I wish we'd gotten to know a bit more. Perhaps if, if he'd been more involved, we would have. But uh, didn't, you know, played 11.4 minutes per game, just never seemed to click for Porter Moser as a guy he could use and, and trust on defense despite all of his athleticism. So it's now four four Sooners into the portal. Fijan Cortez, Benny Schroeder, CJ Nolan, and Joe still. And for Joe, what's really interesting, you know, he needed a waiver just to, to get that immediate eligibility this season, this past season, as a second-time transfer. This is going to be his third transfer in three years. And if he does land somewhere, it'll be his fourth school in four years. And so he's a very interesting case study uh, in the transfer portal of, of the ever-evolving portal waiver rules, all of that. So you, you'd wish him the best of luck, but certainly a, a curious uh, bit of movement there and and but opens up you know another spot and a guy that you know on balance porter moser did not seem to be able to get the most out of this year can they replace him in the portal with with someone who can uh and and that's kind of what's up next we'll see there's still jalen hill and grant Sherfield, where the two were waiting on on their decisions um might be worth noting that jalen hill popped up in the team meeting video of Sam Godwin, who got his scholarship this week, the the big man from Ada, I don't know if that's an indication uh, of his plans, but those are the two big ones, and, and then after that, and this should probably unfold in those early weeks of April, where are guys going to go, and, and who are they going to bring in, because the departures clear out roster spaces, but they've got to hit in the portal, they've got to do it right, uh, and that's going to be really important for Porter, Moser, and co. going into year three.
0: Congrats to Sam Godwin, too. He yes. helped play in time, walk on, wanted to play at OU. His dream was to play at OU, and now he's a scholarship player. So congratulations to him. That's, that's that's really cool. So uh, let's wrap this up with uh, – well, let's talk some some uh, diamond sports. And I guess gymnastics has something big coming up in a couple weeks. But uh, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma softball team, still number one in the country, 27-1, and one, just rolling right now. Uh, you had a chance to go watch some of their games this past weekend. Uh, they go to Iowa State to, uh, for Big 12 play this weekend. They uh, have won 44 straight games against the Cyclones, dating back to 2006. That's just an incredible stat when you think about it. I mean, 2006. I know how old I am, Eli. You were just a kid then.
1: Uh, they're great, baby. They're great, baby.
0: <laughs> so, so the, the, it's a it's an incredible run. But Sooners playing well. I mean, it's just they're going out there and they're getting the job done. Uh, you know, pitching is excellent. They're hitting the ball and now fielding percentage. I mean, they're not. They're playing so clean. I mean, it was it five errors all year, I think? Is that how many they have? And, and Five 20,
1: errors all year, yeah.
0: 28 games. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, too. So talk about, you know, you're hitting, you're catching, you're throwing. Uh, what else is there to do? I mean, they're playing really at a high level.
1: Well, that uh, I got to write about it this week and ask Patty Gasso about it this week. Uh, it was about their fielding, and that's the funny thing. Most years you can count on OU to probably hit better than everybody. Come the end of the year, at the very least, they're probably going to pitch as well as anybody. But now they're fielding. They've, they've got the best fielding percentage in the country, five errors on the year. They're on pace uh, right now for their best fielding percentage season ever. All the best ones, all their top 10 have come under Patty Gasso. But right now, they're, they're 0.992 uh, fielding percentage, better than any other Gasso season. So a team that you almost wondered how could they get better is getting better. And I, I thought this was interesting. I asked Patty, who I know, you know, she coaches. Some incredible hitters, but her passion, one of them, is, is defense. She loves clean fielding, and I, I asked her what she's enjoyed most about this, and it was an interesting response. She said her her Sooners are selfish in their defense in that they, you know, if the pitchers make a good pitch, I'm now quoting, they're going to make sure they make a good out for them. They don't want things to go through their infield. They don't want things dropping in the outfield. So it was, it, I thought an interesting framing on it. Uh, but clearly that the standard that they've set at Oklahoma and, and she said this defense starts with the upperclassmen uh, has trickled in into the defense. And there's a lot of pride there uh, in the defense. And even Patty saying, you know, she asked her team recently, would you rather be a, a something like, would you rather be a better hitter or a better fielder? And she was stunned at how many hands went up for fielding. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a team that prides itself on that. And I would say. You know, if OU hasn't or isn't in the process of scaring probably every every other program in the country, this this is just that latest bit of evidence that uh, they're doing one more thing at an elite level.
0: Yeah. One last thing on the softball team too: uh, Jada Coleman, month of March, she's hitting six six in the month of March. I think she's twenty five of thirty eight. Incredible. Her her uh, her season average has gone up. Now it is uh, five oh seven for the season. And uh, it's just a great year for her. And then teams batting three ninety nine. I mean, teams one one spot from four hundred. Be a team hitting four hundred. It's pretty good. Uh, last thing, OU baseball, real quick. Uh, yeah. Sooners, the uh, they're. I mean, they're just staying steady. They're winning games, and then and, and uh, they they go into this uh, weekend with a big series.
1: Yeah, it was a big series win for them last weekend. You drop the opener thirteen to five to eleventh ranked TCU, and then come back and win the next two. That's a good as good a way as any to to start Big 12 play. They lost midweek to Dallas Baptist at home. It's a good Dallas Baptist program. And now they go to K-State. And this is kind of that time of year where Skip Johnson, I think, hopes to see them start climbing. Uh, They've they've recovered from a slow start. They've had some midweek setbacks. But I think even Skip Johnson would tell you those midweek games, especially, you know, you never know. Maybe you're rolling into those shorthanded or guys are banged up. Can only mean so much but this is that time of year you, you've got Kansas State uh then, then Stanford at home next weekend uh and and, and suddenly you're going to be getting into if if not uh you know postseason time at least postseason p- positioning time and yeah. and so they're getting there and this is the time of year I think he'd hope they they heat up and uh and and so we'll see where they go but the the team that's even the probably the closest OU, OU team to postseason play or competition top ranked OU women's gym. <laughs> they've got the uh the Norman, the regional next weekend, and, and we'll hit on that more as it gets closer. But uh once again, top ranked Sooners. They've got six All Americans as announced yesterday. And uh they've got they'll be hosting next weekend with with Arkansas, Ohio State, and uh Ball State or North Carolina uh North Carolina State here, uh all before the regional. Uh this is the second round regional, and then the regional will be April, uh, excuse me, it's all that weekend, but gymnastics is kind of hitting that point in the season they talk about, you know, they're a team almost like, oh, OU baseball that constantly says, you know, we're building for a certain time of year. Well, that time of year is here. And this is typically when the sooner shine.
0: And we can't forget the men's gymnastics program too, who's really having another great year. I mean, they're, I feel bad because they get kind of lost in the shuffle with all this, but the men are just as well as the women. They're, they're competing for another national championship. Uh that's something else to keep an eye on as it gets later as we get to april you know uh they're getting ready for their regionals getting ready for their nationals too so i think that's something we're going to have to really keep on to keep apprised of going into next month i think that's going to be huge as well so all right well eli anything else we can think of i think we we covered a lot uh we're going to talk again next week after availabilities we'll probably do one of these the morning after the availabilities uh it's neat having football back it is isn't it
1: man a lot on our plate. I'll ask you for a Ted Lasso review off air, but uh, <laughs> I think we got, what well, we, we've covered everything. There's a lot to cover, but we've covered it all. So thank you for listening. As always, you can find us at TulsaWorld.com. All the coverage we do and our colleagues do on Oklahoma State, TU, ORU, there's a whole lot going on, high schools, plenty happening in the state, but you can always find us, Google, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And Eric, you can count on it. We'll be back next week.